airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sherry B is over in Studio CC, and we appreciate her. We want to pick up with where we left off yesterday. Almost a, a sort of a part two, but maybe a little bit more of an expansion uh, on our building up of on. Oh, good grief. If I could just get it out already. I mean, <laughs> they're just words, right? I just want to build on. Oh, man, you do so well with words, though. Well, I appreciate you. It's and usually you're me that's like the, if I could just get this out like I'm trying see? to. see. Uh, and so now I need to learn. That'll learn me not to mock you because <laughs> it happens to all of us. Um, we just want to build on what we were talking about yesterday. Yes. And the question was, are black men in danger from law enforcement? And uh, we brought in a couple studies um, to to say that, no, it's it's actually not true. Mm-hmm. And remember, the underpinning of the discussion today that we're having is that it's racial or it's racially motivated disparities that exist uh, between law enforcement and communities of color, as it's commonly said. I'm just using common everyday vernacular, maybe some things that we don't actually use in private, but I think people understand what I'm saying publicly. And um, so, but, you know, it's not to affirm it, but it's just, it's, what people would identify with. So right, right. Um, let me say this. I had an experience this morning. And, and again, you know, we talk about how do we, you know, fortify our children and how do we teach our children lessons about uh, what's going on in culture? M- my thing is this. I don't think that we always have to find ourselves just catching up as far as, well, this has popped off in culture. Now I need to teach my kid how to respond to it. I think what we're supposed to be doing is fortifying and building our kids up um, so that they know truth so that when things happen in the culture, they are equipped to respond, mm-hmm. right? Like they don't go in ill-equipped. And then when they come out and tell you that they've been attacked, and I'm using that word loosely here, mm-hmm. now you're scrambling trying to figure out, wow, how do we give them a biblical you know, directive here? Like how do we instruct them? No, what I'm saying is preemptively we need to prepare our kids for the culture that they're going to inherit, that they're growing up in right now, right? Mm-hmm. And the society that they're going to live in. So quick little illustration of this. And uh, again, this t- this talks about or speaks to human nature, folks, all right? Because the conversation that we're having in culture right now um, presents itself as some sort of unique phenomenon, right? Where we're presented with sin and wickedness And all of a sudden we want sin and wickedness to uniquely reside in one type of heart. Hmm. We want to say there are certain hearts in which sin and wickedness cannot reside. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's one type of heart. And if the exterior meets this type of criteria, then we'll say, yep, there could be sin and wickedness there. Maybe not. I don't know. You'll let me know as I keep talking to you. That's what our culture is saying right now. But you know, right off the bat, I'm looking at your external, you know, appearance and I'm deciding that sin and wickedness can reside there. Um, conversely, look at the other exterior and we're saying sin and wickedness cannot reside there, always overwhelmingly victim, 
because sin and wickedness cannot reside there. We know, biblically speaking, this is not true. Sin and wickedness resides in the human heart. In fact, the only way that it is eradicated is through Jesus Christ. And this is why I said yesterday, we want the results that Jesus brings, but we do not want Jesus. This, mm. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep saying this, right? The message and the remedy that we have for what ails our country, for what ails humanity, period, all right, is Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. Now, keep in mind, when you say that, people say, yeah, that, and then, but what else? And then, <laughs> but what else, right? <laughs> um, when you start to negotiate with them on those terms, you've already lost. You've already, you've already given up some ground, okay? So, so let me give you a little bit of background here, and then, and then we'll move on. But so we have, as, as people know, we have five children, and we have one on the way. We have a sixth child who is a boy. We have a, another son that the Lord has graciously given us. And so we learn a lot about the human condition. We learn a lot about ourselves in raising yes. our children, okay? Yes. <laughs> right? Amen. And, and we learn how much the father bears with us in the way that we have to bear with our children yes. and, the, and the things that, you know, man. So we have a routine on Tuesdays, right? So today we're on Tuesday schedule and any parent who has like a schedule that is determined by the things that are happening externally, you know, you have to, you have to set a course based on that. So we have a Tuesday schedule and this Tuesday sc- schedule involves something that has become a bit of a treat for our children. <laughs> and <laughs> it involves a visit to our local donut shop in the morning, right? <laughs> Very sweet treat for them. They enjoy it. They have come to associate that with Tuesday mornings, okay? Mm-hmm. We got to be up and at them. We got to be outside of the house. So that means it's a trip to the donut shop. Okay, so along with this, now I'm going, just hang with me here. Along with this routine that is our Tuesday schedule, they have learned to bring their bottled water, to bring either a bottle of water or their own canister, whatever it is, bring your water. Because anybody knows if you're having a donut, you're <laughs> thirsty, okay? You are thirsty. So that's a part of the routine. We all load up and, and we, we're on our journey and everybody's supposed to have his or her own water, mm-hmm. all right? <laughs> so today... <laughs> So today we go and we make our, our stop, mm-hmm. we get the donuts, we pass the donuts out. Mm-hmm. We're on our way moving to our next location. Mm-hmm. And one child, and I try to protect <laughs> the guilty, um, but, but one child says, oh man, I forgot my water bottle today. Mm. Right? Yeah. So I say, hmm. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Because let's just be honest here. Our kids have cooties. Everybody's kid has cooties, okay? Your your kid has cooties. Your kid is a walking cootie. My kid is a walking cootie, okay? So I say, okay, you can have some of my water. Because I just, the thought of like having had a donut mm-hmm. and then like you're so thirsty and now we've got, we've got a couple hours ahead of us, okay, of mm-hmm. like being out and about. So I just couldn't do it. I was like, okay, you can have some of my water. Now, I, I kid you not, moments later, there is a yell from, this comes from the second row. <laughs> okay. Moments later, there is a yell from the third row. Hmm. The third row. Okay. I forgot my water bottle. So that's two people. Two individuals have forgotten wow. their water. Okay. I know who it wasn't. 
Okay, so right. Well, no, because you loaded those two right. up. You made sure I thought, that yeah, I thought you everything know. was fine if they had their water right. bottles. Okay, don't don't continue because we're gonna give too much away. Our kids can't show their faces in public. So, but listen. So, so we so we're going along, and I have just told the first child we were referred to as child A. All right, and second child will henceforth be called child B, just mm-hmm. to protect them. Okay, so I tell child A, you can have some of my water. Right. Moments later, no joke, no exaggeration. <laughs> child B yells out, I don't have my water bottle. So mm-hmm. child A previously said, thank you so much, mom, because this donut is so sweet. Like it always makes me thirsty. Was so grateful yeah. for watch this for the mercy that I had extended yeah. to child A. Exactly. Child B cries out, I don't have water. Mm hmm. Child A Uh-oh. immediately says, you're out of luck. Oh. You don't have water. <laughs> oh. Sound like a Bible you're not, parable. You're uh, n- that's a, Will, don't, don't, please. Okay, I'm running. Uh-oh. You always do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> you always do that. He's like, it doesn't take all these words, uh, Mika. <laughs> this, we can I, go I right to running. what Jesus said. Saying. You are running. <laughs> 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 you, I, you see, I once you start getting on to it, I have to speed up because you're like, all right, that's enough words. So this is what we're dealing with here, which is what he does. Like, it's so true. OK, so my bad. Yes, Will. <laughs> this is a Bible passage, right? So so child B is like, oh, but I'm so thirsty. And child A is like, well, you're not drinking this water now. Wow. First, there was a it's misunderstanding. Not even child's A water. <laughs> well, child A thought that I had given child ah, A the water, okay. but I had not. I said you can have some, right? Right. So, but there was a misunderstanding. Child A took full possession of said water, and refused to show the same mercy that had been shown to child A. I'm trying also not to use pronouns. Mm. All right. So I said point blank. I said, "You lack mercy." Mm. I said, you lack mercy. I said, you have just been on the receiving end of an incredible mercy that you did not deserve. And now you're in a position to give mercy and you will not give it. I said, you are the unmerciful servant. And child A was like, oh, (laughs) because it's true, right? It's true. And this and child A thought for a second and child A said, but I know that my mouth is clean. I know that. <laughs> but I know. <laughs> I said, by your standards. But here's the thing. It was my water. Mm-hmm. It was my water. Right. And I allowed you to have some. And you would not turn around and extend that same mercy to your sibling. Now, guys, let me tell you something. What we are experiencing in our country today and what we are looking at There are great cries for all kinds of things, right? But what we really need to understand is that mercy is not contingent upon our definition of who should receive it or how it should be given and all of these things. But really, the best way to understand mercy is to understand what we have received. Hmm. It's to understand what we have received. Because you can tell a person in this situation, extend mercy and that situation, But really, you train them to extend it ongoingly when you are able to remind them what they have received. And so for us as Christians, when we talk about what our culture needs and and what people are crying out for and, you know, what is demanded of us in this hour, 
I think for us to remember that we have received mercy Mm. and so we extend mercy and as easy as it is for each of us to be child a (laughs) right (laughs) we have to always remember that we were without God that we were without hope in the world Mm -hmm. but the Lord opened our eyes he opened our eyes to receive the gospel he drew us to himself right and now with this same understanding we are compelled then to turn to others and to make sure that we make much of the gospel, mm-hmm. to make sure that our making much of the gospel is a display of mercy because that's what it is. Mm-hmm. When you make much of Jesus Christ, it's a display of mercy, knowing what people will inherit, knowing what the wages of sin actually are, right? Knowing all of this, we persuade men to come to Christ because that's merciful. That's merciful. Look, I can feel I, I'm going to I'm going to say this and then we'll go back to part two of what we were talking about yesterday. I can agree all day about um, legitimate displays of injustice. I can agree with that. I will agree with that. I do agree with that. But I will tell you this and, and I say this as uh, resolutely as I know how to say it. Mm-hmm. I will never march alongside people who. <laughs> who stand for something that is antithetical to the gospel. Amen. Never, ever. I don't care what their cries are. I don't care how much the, the cries overlap because at the end of the day, your solutions are antithetical to the gospel. In fact, to say it simply, your solutions do not provide the mercy that people are in desperate need of. Mm. People are in desperate need of mercy. And look, it's not just the mercy that stops at us, right? Like it's not just our temporal day-to-day dealings where we extend mercy, you forgive people, you show grace, you know, um, it, it's, it's not that. It's that people need the eternal mercy of God where their sin is forgiven. You know, when you look at this story, this, this parable that Jesus tells of the unmerciful servant, he owed his master 10,000 talents, right? 10,000 talents. It would have taken him over 190,000 years to pay off that debt. And then he comes to the person who owes him 100 denarii, right? And that was about four months wages. (laughs) Man. Four months wages compared to (laughs) 190,000 years to pay off what he owed. And he was like, run me that. (laughs) Guys, that's all of us. Without Jesus Christ, that is every single one of us. We need his mercy. All right, Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. We'll take the break and we'll be right back. Radio. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's Battle Hymn of the Republic, Angela Prim. 
Nice, very nice. Sherry B is over in Studio CC. We pick up with our discussion from yesterday. It's a part two of sorts, but just kind of, you know, filling in what we didn't really get to and, and, and building on, on that. Um, are black men in danger from law enforcement? Let me say this. If I have not made this clear, and, and I'm not sure that I haven't made it clear, but in the event that I haven't made it clear, let me just make sure to say that I expect more from law enforcement than I expect from the average person on the street. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to say that without apology because you think about it in our culture, the way we celebrate law enforcement and the way we, um, you know, admire going into this profession. We do that because it's automatically linked to something that they do in our society that man is really not programmed to do, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They overcome right. natural inclinations to do things that are not innate to right. us. Like these are not things like, you know, running into gunfire mm-hmm. versus running away. You right. understand? Right. Like running into burning buildings versus trying to get out of them. You see, so you, when you think about this, it is right for us to have a higher expectation of law enforcement than we do of a civilian. Why? Because we expect them to make split second decisions. Yeah. And we expect them to get it right every single time. Okay. Right. And and as I go through all of this, for many of us, we're like, man, defunding law enforcement is not what we need to do. It, what we should be doing is making sure that these men and women are well paid. <laughs> When you think about what our expectations are yeah. for these individuals, right? We expect them to make, again, split-second decisions. We expect, expect them to be discerning. Right. We expect them to be just, right? right? We expect them to be balanced. We expect them to be able, and, and toggling back to dis- discernment, we expect them to walk into a decision and almost on site be a judge of sorts. <laughs> think <laughs> about it. Like they come up, they, you know, respond to a dispute and and they're there and they're trying to figure out what is going on while also make sure that there's nothing nefarious that's happening around them. Like all of these things going on. These are extraordinary men and women in our society. Yeah. We I mean, we we ought to be very grateful for them. Yes. Which is why I have said repeatedly. Let me restate it for this audience. Right. I've said this repeatedly. When there is a law enforcement officer who fails to meet this expected standard, Mm -hmm. we should not cover for him. Right. We should not cover for him. Let me tell you why. Because it makes all the other law enforcement officers who do this look like they should not be celebrated. Mm. When you should be celebrated. You should be celebrated. You go into situations where you don't. Look, I'm going to tell you, I, I really do believe that one of the scariest moments for me Thinking from the perspective of the person who is approaching the car, you think about a car being pulled over, mm-hmm. right? So you got a law enforcement officer who is walking up to the car. They have no idea who's inside the car, generally speaking, right? They don't know what they have inside the car. They don't know the state of mind of the person driving the car. And they walk up to that car, right? You think about that. In our own thinking, our own nat- natural thinking, we wouldn't do things like that. Like we're like, you know, I'm not I'm not going to put myself in a situation like that. Right. But what's our expectation of that officer? Our expectation of that officer is one that that officer has the kind of training that equips him or her to be able to do that in that situation, to not be rash, to not be, you know, shooting from the hip. And I mean that in a literal and figurative sense. Mm-hmm. Right. 
but to do the types of things that ordinary people could not, would not do. Yeah. And let's just say do not do. Okay. <laughs> we don't yeah. do these things. So we need our law enforcement officers. It is right that we should respect them, that we should celebrate them, that we should be grateful for their service. When one of them gets it wrong, when one of them gets it wrong, when one of them acts beyond the authority of their badge, right? We should not pretend that that doesn't matter. But here is what I have been saying. So just in case I want to put all of that out in case people didn't hear me say that or didn't understand that from my communication. Let me put that out there. But here is what I have been saying. I do not want people to tell me that I can only care if a certain description of officer gets it wrong against a certain description of person. Mm -hmm. That's what I don't want. You see? And that's what you can't tell me. I mean, you can tell me, but I'm not going <laughs> to. You can tell me that. Right. So what I'm also rejecting <clears throat> is this narrative that white law enforcement officers exist are in the profession to pick off black men in America. Right. Guys, I want you to under look, let's just, you know, reduce this. All of my foodies. Let's just reduce this down. Okay. <laughs> what are we looking at? When we stare in the pot of this national conversation, that's basically what we end up with, that we are all supposed to accept that white officers exist to pick off black men. So we say that there are racial disparities. Yes, there are racial disparities when you talk about law enforcement encounters and black men. But what people often don't want to talk about, and this is what we got into yesterday. We're going to get into some more of it today because somebody link slapped us on the Aaron the Addison's <laughs> page. And so I decided to turn the other cheek and find some more links myself. <laughs> so now it's a war of links and we're going to talk about it today. All right. But what is the discussion that is being had? Not why, not why these law enforcement encounters often happen mm -hmm. between law enforcement officers and black men, generally speaking. And there's information to support the cause for these encounters. But we are supposed to ignore that because the narrative here is defund police. The police are the oppressors. They are tearing up black and brown communities. That's the narrative. I'm going to go through some information with you today, and it's probably information overload last couple of days, but I think it's necessary. I really do. I'm going to go through some information with you today. And some of the information that you're going to hear is going to be a little bit uncomfortable, right? But it's factual information. You, you, we would do well to know this, to be aware. Let me just say this right off the bat. The narrative is that white officers are killing black officers or black civilians overwhelmingly in this country, that the disparities that exist, the encounters that happen between white officers and black civilians is something that is so dire in this country that at first the cry was, we need more diversity on, on police forces. You remember that? Remember a few years mm -hmm, ago, mm -hmm. it was diversity and sensitivity training. Let's just go back guys. Cause we need to have a short memory here. We need to be able, or a long memory, however you define it, we need to be able to remember what has happened in the past, right? And why? Because they expect you, yeah, we need to have a long memory. They expect you to have a short memory. They expect you not to be able to recall what happened four years ago, 
what happened five years ago so that you can get into this TIF today and not be able to draw from previous knowledge. So from previous knowledge, what were we told? We were told that if we want to stop the disparities that are happening between white law enforcement officers and black civilians, namely black men or chiefly black men, then what we need to do is diversify police force, all police forces all across this country. So we need more black police officers. We need more brown police officers. Remember, they said we also need more body cams. Yep. Yep. Remember all of this, guys. You remember, we need more body cams Mm -hmm. because we want to be able to see what's going on. We want to know what's happening. And also we need sensitivity training for officers so that when they go into situations, they are better able to understand what they're encountering, that these things are not always signs of aggression. Like somebody charging at you, it might just (laughs) it might just be to dap you up. Like it might just be they want to just come, you know, like that's ridiculous. (laughs) Right. So we so this is what we talked about. This was the this was the national discussion. You see how that discussion has progressed, though, don't you? Mm-hmm. And 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 just four years regressed. <laughs> it has regressed. You see how the conversation has regressed in just four years. That now we've moved past diversifying law enforcement. We've moved past sensitivity training. We've moved past body cameras, and now we've gone full hog defund, defund, get rid of them, get rid of them. Now. I'm going to argue the reason for that mm-hmm. is because there are people who think that you will never dig in and never study the research or never yeah. read the research and never know that here is what the researchers have found. In addition to all the information that we shared yesterday, mm-hmm. here is what the researchers have found. The researchers have found that the greater likelihood for a black civilian, <clears throat> excuse me, to be involved in a fatal officer sh- shooting. All right. The greater likelihood for that comes with the officer himself being black, Mm. not white. Wow. I wish like if I if I were like old school preaching, I would say, y'all don't hear me. (laughs) I'm going to lights and we're going to get to the study. Okay, we're going to get to the study. We're going to get to information because somebody link slapped me yesterday or link slapped me link slapped us it was under the post from yesterday's <laughs> show on Aaron the Addison's yeah well you can get some of this too <laughs> somebody link, somebody link slapped Will and me as you know he does most of the talking somebody link slapped Will to kind of put him in his place um, saying that we needed to consider this information so and here is the this information using my quotes here right so I'll tell you what I did when, when somebody does that and I think okay this is a legitimate study I'm going to do what I've done with the other studies you know what that is? Read it. <laughs> it's profound. That's a novel idea. That's a novel idea. I'm going to read it. Read it. All right? Because I can read. <laughs> so before I dismiss it and say it goes against my position, I'm going to read it and see if it accurately challenges my position. Then if it does, I'm going back to the drawing board. I'm like, wait a minute. Whoa, this information here is a challenge to what I previously said. So here's the information. The information was a study done in August of 2019, August of 2019. Somebody posted this under our show from yesterday and it's from the National Academy of Sciences. And the, the title of this research article is risk of being killed by police use of force in the United States by age, race, ethnicity and sex. And so I'm reading this study. And by the way, let me tell you, when I say that I read the study, I want you guys to understand what I mean when I say that. I don't mean I read the first four lines of every section. I mean, I'm reading the study 
from top to bottom. That means I'm also reading methods because here's what I want to know. I want to know how is the information arrived at? Mm. What is the data that you work with to get to your conclusion? I want to know how you collect the data. I want to know how the data is processed and then how you arrive at these numbers. That's what I want to know, right? So here you go. You have fatal encounters data that I'm looking at here. This was the post that somebody tagged us in saying we need to look at. Basically, it was a disagreement link, okay? And, and I'm, I'm restating this again because it's important for you to know that the next study that I, I turn to, all right, is also from the National Academy of Sciences, <laughs> all right? So, but, but just with a different form of collecting data, I don't even, all right, let me not jump too far ahead. Here we go. National Academy of Sciences, risk of being killed by police use of force in the United States by age, race, ethnicity, and sex. Okay, so here we go. Fatal encounters data. The highest levels of inequality and mortality risk are experienced by black men, this research suggests. Black men are about two and a half times more likely to be killed by police over the life course, over their life course, than are white men. Black women are about 1.4 times more likely to be killed by police than are white women. Listen to the information, guys, because this, I have to tell you, as I was reading it yesterday, I'm going, oh, my goodness, this information is horrible, right? <laughs> Among all groups, black men and boys face the highest lifetime risk of being killed by police. Our models predict that one in 1,000 black men and boys will be killed by police over the life course. White men and, vo- and boys face a lifetime risk of about 39 per 100,000. Let me read that number to you again, because sometimes you hear a lot of numbers, you just check out. Their models, according to this particular study, their models predict that one in 1,000 black men and boys, one in 1,000 black men and boys will be killed by police over the life course. White men and boys face a lifetime risk of about 39 per 100,000. Man, this data would suggest that it's open season on black men and boys that, that in fact, and they go on to actually, I was going to say, you're, it's, you're more likely as a black man and a black boy growing up in America, living in America, you're more likely to be killed by police officer than any other type of death, which includes... <laughs> Drug overdoses, motor vehicle traffic death. This is in the data. I'm looking at the data here. And other accidental fatalities. Suicide. Homicides. Wow. (laughs) Really? Heart disease and cancer. Wow. All of these things would trail, based on this data, trail police killings of black men and boys. Now, at this point, I'm reading and I'm going, this is horrible. This is awful, right? Right? So I'm going to spare you all of the other information from this particular study that gives you the data. I'm going to jump down in the interest of time, and I'm simply going to let you know how they collect this information to process it and arrive at these numbers. Fatal Encounters does not currently collect data on variables that may be associated with the variation in risk. So in other words, they don't take into account why black men and boys would have encounters with police officers. But also you need to understand that they collect data on all deaths involving police through, watch this, systematic searches of online news coverage, public records, and social media. What? 
I'm sorry, what kind of crackerjack research is that? Are you in high school? Wow. All right, we're going <laughs> to grab the break and we'll be right back. Just give me Jesus. Welcome back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and it's Unspoken with Just Give Me Jesus. Sherry B is over in the studio, CC. Let me try to get through the information and see what kind of time we have left here. If you are just joining us or if you were not clear on the point that I was making as we came to the end of the last segment, let me just restate it for you. We were link slapped on the Aaron the Addisons page with a research article that said that black men are in greater danger of death by police than they are any other causes of death um, that we have records for. So that's going to be like accidental deaths. That's going to be like cancer and all these things is incredibly startling. These numbers. And by the way, um, all of the links, this study will be posted in the show notes. I encourage you to go check it out. I want you to go read it for yourself. Read all the models. I mean, read how they collect the data. I mean, check it out for yourself and then decide if this is the type of information that you deem to be reliable. Again, as I was reading through the research article yesterday, having been link slapped with it. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's some some slaps that you get from links that are like, you go, whoa, this is great information, right? Nothing wrong with that. So I appreciate that. So I'm reading through and then I want to know, okay, man, how are they arriving at these numbers? I mean, these are astronomical numbers, especially when you consider the amount of homicides that take place in black communities, impoverished communities, if you want to just, you know, kind of be nicer, you know? I'm like, how are they getting these numbers in particular? And again, what I find when I get to the end of the article is that Fatal Encounters collects its data on all deaths involving police through systematic searches of online news coverage, mm-hmm. public <laughs> records, and social media. Hmm. I feel as if when I read this report, I want to go back and, and put a bunch of like likes in it and stuff like that. Like, And so like <laughs> when you have people who are like walking and like they get shot and like, you know, because that's the kind of elementary type study that I say that this is. You collect data from social media and you collect data from online news coverage. In other words, if the information was not deemed important by online news mm-hmm. <laughs> and you didn't include it. Oh, my goodness. Man, I, so if, if people didn't make a post about it on their social media, you didn't include it. <laughs> Guys. So, so anyway, so here you go. People are strumming your pain with their fingers, all right? <laughs> all right? <laughs> Trying to tell your life with their song, and it's wrong. It's all out of tune. It's not, it's not. How do you have a study that collects information from social media and online news coverage? Okay, yes, and public records. And I would say that's legitimate, public records. But there's actually, there's actually a better way to collect data. If you really wanted to try to extrapolate and say, okay, well, you know, how do we look at this and, and spread it across communities? And how do, how do we figure out how do we read the data? First of all, it starts with proper collection, right? Right. And so I would say if you really wanted to collect data and you really wanted to get proper information, you might do like what Harvard did. Y'all remember Harvard professor uh, Roland Fryer, the guy who, who was like, you know, <laughs> this was the most, these were the most surprising results of my career. There's no racial bias in police involved shootings. 
You might, you might do what, and we can just call him Harvard for the sake of our discussion. It's not to minimize him at all. But you might do what Harvard did. Mm-hmm. In one of the most comprehensive studies on the issue to date, Roland G. Fryer, an African-American economist, who says he began the study, this study, in response to his anger over the deaths of Michael Brown and Freddie Gray. And this is what he did. He examined 1,332 shootings that occurred between 2000 and 2015 in 10 major police departments. By the end of the exhaustive search, Fryer and his team spent an estimated 3,000 hours pouring over the data from Los Angeles, California, three cities in Texas, Houston, Austin, and Dallas, and four counties and two cities in Florida, Orlando, and Jacksonville. They contacted police departments and they, they got records from these departments. They gathered information from those who were involved in the police shootings. There's actual records for that. Like, you don't have to just right. know if your cousin posted about it. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, but, but here's again, though, because it's you say, you know, this tells my story. Mm-hmm. I don't care how they got the information. Right. This tells my story. Well, you should care how they got the information. So, man, you know, I, so, so here's another. So as I was reading this article, uh, I came across another article actually published in the same year from the same website, National Academy of Sciences. And this, this article, again, specifically wanted to look at racial disparities between law enforcement and, I guess, people of color being killed by them. Okay? So this article, and again, we'll have a link to it in the, in the show notes so you can check it out for yourself in its entirety. Both of them. And I recommend that you do. I recommend that. And if you think I'm unfair, let me know. I, I don't need to say that. You will. You'll let me know. <laughs> this article, this research paper, Officer Characteristics and Racial Disparities and Fatal Officer-Involved Shootings. Okay, so here we go. Published originally July 22nd, 2019. There is widespread concern about racial disparities and fatal officer-involved shootings and that these disparities reflect discrimination by white officers. All right? That's, that's the conversation we're having today. Mm-hmm. Existing databases of fatal shootings lack information about officers and past analytic approaches have made it difficult to assess the contributions of factors like crime. <laughs> in other words, in the past, when we have these conversations, this is how these people start off their research papers. Different researchers, by the way, probably ones that graduated. All right. Different ones. All right. So here we go. They start off, by the way, first of all, acknowledging that there are different factors that we must consider when we talk about racial disparities as it pertains to encounters with law enforcement. One of those different factors is crime. And that's what we talked about yesterday. You cannot be 12 to 13 percent of the population committing 53 percent of homicides, over 60 percent of robberies. That means it involves a weapon. Right. 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 That's not taking a pack of gum, which you shouldn't do that either. Right. (laughs) It's taking a pack of gum at gunpoint. You can't be that percentage of the population involved in those percentages of crime and expect that to be ignored when we talk about encountering law enforcement. You can't. Now, I'm, you know. All right, here we go. 
We test racial disparities. This is a second research article from the same website. All right. We test racial disparities using an approach that sidesteps the benchmark. And when you talk about a benchmark, what you're talking about is, okay, how are we measuring the data that we get? Right. Are we going to decide that there are disparities based on the number of encounters that black people are having with law enforcement? Are we going to discuss disparities based on population size? How are we going to how are we going to describe these are these encounters? What benchmarks are we going to use? So according to this report, we report three main findings and listen to this one as the proportion of black or Hispanic officers. In fatal officer involved shootings increases, a person shot is more likely to be black or Hispanic than white. Mm -hmm. In other words, it's more likely that when the officer is black or Hispanic, the person shot will be black or Hispanic, not the other way around that when the officer is white, the person shot will be black or Hispanic. And so what benchmark, how do they get this information? What they do is they look at counties. They look at actual encounters between law enforcement. And here is what they found. They found that most of the officers who are working in these communities come from these communities. Mm. So there's a greater (laughs) encounter that they're having with these people who in many cases are criminals, not in all cases. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, we must decry it. We must decry. We must say that's wrong. But what this research found overwhelmingly was that when you control for the commission of crime, when you look at what communities these incidences are happening in Mm -hmm. like when you when you take all of that into consideration what you find is that it's not open season on black men by white cops what you find is that in fact it's more likely that a black man involved in a fatal officer shooting is going to have been shot by another black man Hmm. Or let's say this way, a black officer. Now, you know why we have no use for this information in our culture today? Because we need a color element. That's right. We need a color element. We can't have this conversation without a color element. Which is sad. Do you see that? Yeah. That's why I refuse to give ground to these people Who want to tell me who and what I can care about? And let me tell you something. If a law enforcement officer goes into a situation where there is obvious danger, I mean, and guys, come on, man. Are you going to tell me that we want the officer to release a can, you know, (laughs) sprinkles and, and just, you know, challenge him to a dance off? You know, look, as, as long as go ahead, Will, go ahead. No, on that point, it's crazy. I saw today there was a video of the New Orleans Police Department who were doing a demonstration of them shooting um, rubber balls because they were accused of shooting uh, rubber bullets into uh, a crowd of protest protesters or rioters who got really rowdy. So they had a whole demonstration of what they did, you know, to try to answer the questions. You know, it, it puts 
police officers in, in crazy situations. It's like, why do they have to apologize for trying to protect themselves, you know, in, in that type of environment? You, you talked about using sprinkles. These people were mad that these rubber balls were being used. And so they demonstrated how these rubber balls weren't even impactful. Look, I, I, I'm I'm sorry. Is it crazy? I, I'm sorry, but um, <laughs> look, we're gonna have to have some real conversations where there is the greater likelihood of a person losing their life in an encounter with a law enforcement officer. If you take all of the factors out, mm. there's a greater likelihood of a white individual uh, that is unarmed being shot by a police officer. There's something death by cop, and white individuals tend to be more suicidal. Mm. Um, more mentally disturbed and seek to end their lives by provoking a police officer to be shot. You have more of those happening than you have white officers shooting unarmed black men. But nobody wants to talk about that. And you know why? Because if you're black, you can't care about white people. Right. There's no there's no marches to have like it's got to be the right narrative. There are no marches to have um, greater sensitivity for people with mental illness. Like, you know, we're not tearing up communities for that. So you got somebody charging at an officer. The officer feels threatened, right? And the officer responds with fire, and that individual dies. Turns out that individual was suicidal. That in- individual had a history of mental, in- mental illness. There's more of that happening in this country than there is what we've got rioters and looters telling us that is happening. Mm-hmm. Now, again, this takes nothing away. I want people to understand this takes nothing away from the sheer wickedness that was putting your knee on the neck of a human being right. as he cried out for mercy, right. as he cried out to be able to live and to breathe. This takes nothing away. You deserve to be judged for what you did. You, And this is why I say good law enforcement officers should not allow the wicked ones to hide behind them because it taints the badge. Mm-hmm. It taints the badge. And every good Law enforcement officer knows what good law enforcement looks like. Right. Those three other men that were standing near Chauvin, they knew that that wasn't right. And at least two of them said, hey, we should we should probably roll them over. But they were in training. So, you know, Hmm. we can't say anything. And the same thing, I mean, I'm going to say this for believers, the same thing for believers. Believers should not allow wicked men to hide behind them just because of skin color. Right. So you got people who have very wicked agendas. Their desires are evil. They hate Romans 13. They don't want any law. Right. They don't want the law that is instituted by God, that is put in place by God. They reject that totally. They hate Romans 13 Mm -hmm. and they want to hide behind you because you're black. So we want to do violence. We want to upset communities. Look at Chicago right now. Terrible. Will you send me this story? I mean, (laughs) Chicago is open season, not on black men by white officers. It's on black men and women by other black men and women. They're tearing their communities up but then want to hide behind black Christians and want black Christians to say black lives matter. We know that they do. Mm-hmm. We already know that they do, but I'm not linking arms with you and your wickedness 
because your end is lawlessness. What you want is chaos. And having used me again to feed your beast, <laughs> you will release the Kraken on me. <laughs> yep. We got to see these people coming. Look, I don't know. I don't know who cares about this more deeply than we do. But I'm suggesting that none of us should be manipulated by the information that's out there. Amen. We're out of time. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.